Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Welcome back, Matt. Uh, thank you so much, oh Dana. It's lovely to be back and yeah. making an appearance on the Friday Workplace Briefing I again. I think everyone will be excited to not see Andrew for once. <laughs> I know, I know. Our intrepid leader on a, a break again. Um, <laughs> enjoying himself in uh, Port Douglas, which you know, makes me think I should look out for a Port Reading <laughs> holiday one day. But uh, nonetheless, who knows why he chose where to go. <laughs> I think the weather. Like, we've been having terrible weather. That's really. fair. Probably a reasonable. <laughs> choice on Andrew's behalf there for sure. <laughs> so a lot of things we have to cover because it's essentially two weeks now that we're covering. Absolutely, we can use the break for sure. Yeah. So yeah. over to you, Matt, what's new with the Fair Work Act? Yeah, well, it's still long and huge and the Labor <laughs> government is still choosing to uh, put some big things into it. Look, we're predicting and what they're saying is bigger changes coming in the second half of the year, but they've done a little bit more smaller tinkering um, post the Secure Jobs Bill. Really, a couple of things they've sort of put in, they're going to put in an entitlement around superannuation wow. into the National Employment Centre, which I do think is a, a really big one. Yeah, a little huge. bit of tinkering about flexible days of parental leave. And An increase in the amount of days. That's right, right yeah. yeah. Well, that's for the, the flexible days, yeah. which is this additional entitlement. And look, and I'm really making very clear that the entitlements under the Fair Work Act do apply to migrant workers. It's always been the case, but it's a classic example where they mm. just wanted to, to uh, reinforce that little, it. Yeah, yeah, that's right, because there's a lot of dispute that sits around that um, all the time. Yeah. Mm. All right. And so the first case we have is one which we've actually talked about before. It's about accessorial liability for HR managers. It's United Workers and Verva. And this is the crazy case where Mm. you had an employee who was being performance managed for something. Mm -hmm. HR manager starts a disciplinary meeting Employee walks out, she's really distressed, yep. goes home. Not uncommon. Yeah. yeah. HR manager calls for a welfare check, right? Mm. Employee's too distressed, mm-hmm. hands the phone to her husband. Husband says, she's not talking to you, you're bullying her. Mm. HR manager hangs up. Then later that day, sends an email saying, we accept your resignation. So as you can imagine, yeah. the federal court was very scathing about yeah, it. Clearly, yeah. it was a constructive dismissal mm. and they had always intended to dismiss her. And this was the sentencing. So mm. she won $47,000 in economic loss yeah, and 9000 in general damages. And most importantly and relevantly is that the HR manager was fined over $7,000 personally mm. because clearly their actions oh. were intended to breach the Fair Work Act. It's yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, can't throw around resignation like that when you no. haven't got a very clear verbal or written one. Yeah, um, and what was really clear about this case is didn't even check with the employee mm. to confirm that it was a resignation. Yeah. Had heard, like, through another person, mm. didn't know if they had the authority. So just crazy, crazy stuff, and I yeah. don't know why they ever thought they'd get away with it. No, absolutely no, crazy Okay, so unreasonable hours, Matt. There's a hot topic. Oh at the my goodness! Yeah, well, look, anyone who's into politics knows it's a big issue amongst uh, amongst the independent members of Parliament <laughs> at the moment. With uh, the member for Kuyong, Monique Ryan, and her sort of former employee Sally Rugg. That's a big case in the employment space, which looks like it's likely to head to a decision about mm. look, what is reasonable overtime. What is when you look at the full time thirty eight hours. 
what makes it reasonable, yeah. when can an employee refuse and so on. Um, so it's a big hot-button issue. And in the context of that, we've had this case pop up. Here we just had an employee terminated before the end of their probationary period, effectively made several complaints in the course of her employment about working unreasonable hours. Now, when this case was decided, she actually did technically lose on this aspect. So she didn't provide any evidence to the employer and therefore to the court to actually demonstrate that the hours that she had worked were greater than what her contract recorded. So she didn't create her own timesheets or anything contemporaneous. So that actually saw her unreasonable hours claim fail. But what it did get over the line in this respect was a bit of a backdoor sort of general protections claim, whereby she was able to establish that notwithstanding that she didn't have the evidence to support those claims, her making of those complaints and inquiries about the unreasonable hours uh, were accepted to be valid complaints and inquiries. And the employer was unable to discharge the reverse onus. So it claimed that it had terminated her because she was effectively a classic poor fit. Um. It couldn't evidence that before the court. So in that circumstance, the court accepted that the complaints and inquiries were at least one of the reasons for the termination of her employment. So doesn't quite get there. We're going to see a lot more, I think, yep. once that this very high-profile Meek Ryan and Sally Rugg uh, matter goes all the way and us employment lawyers are chomping yeah. at the bit to get a bit of case law And the FSU it. test case that they've brought through against NAB. So that's right, that's right. It's a reminder right. to make sure that you yeah. are checking the hours of your employees because I think it's about to shake it up. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. the industries, Remembering really. that they need to be reasonable. <laughs> okay. And we have another unreasonable case, this time about whether something is reasonable management action or not, because that's the all-important question when the it comes to workers' yeah, health. Yeah. yeah. So this was a really interesting case because this employee had quite a difficult relationship with their manager. The manager was one of those very direct managers mm-hmm. as we all know those kinds of people. <laughs> and the employee worked in the countryside, so it was a fairly long commute and often had to vary their hours accordingly. So with the incident in question, they had a tradesperson who rocked up late that day mm-hmm. and so unexpectedly had to work from home. They texted the manager, informed them, all good, manager didn't say anything, mm-hmm. didn't speak to them the next day when they were in the office together, of kind of didn't say anything. But then the day after that, sent them a scathing email saying, you know, how dare you unilaterally decide to work from home. Mm -hmm. You're not authorised to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. just blasting and blasting them. And, of course, the employee very rightfully filed a workers' compensation claim and won because although, yes, you should be speaking to employees if they're not going through the proper processes mm. in how they're notifying you or how the flexible work policy mm. is being. There's a reasonable way to do it. Absolutely. And that's the key thing when it comes to reasonable management action. Mm. Whatever action you are carrying out, you have to be able to evidence that it was reasonable in the circumstances. Yeah, and carried out in that reasonable manner. Yeah. yeah again, no suggestion here that yeah, that employee was perhaps in the right to no. unilaterally decide to work from home. But that failure to follow up contemporaneously yeah. that delay, especially the period in between just being like, like everything's they fine. Saw them. Yeah. 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 Like, no, why no, didn't no. you just talk to them then? Absolutely. I think it's also a reminder, which is really important 
to have those discussions with your employees. Mm. There's a tendency to let things build up over time and put things in writing. And as we know, mm. things in writing can be misconstrued. Absolutely. They come off as more harsh. Just have the discussion in person and mm. then convey it in writing. Yeah, trade off that relationship yeah. which I built with the employee. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, on to the next case. Ooh. Flying through this case with a lot of them. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so this is a (laughs) funny one, (laughs) and I'm very proud of the heading that I created (laughs) for this one. So one of the work pack employees injured themselves when they were playing in a workplace soccer match. So work pack engaged, I think it's another company called Sodexo, to organise sports for their employees. And work pack said, look, we shouldn't be liable for any injury because it's not to do with work. There's yeah. no connection to the employment. Mm-hmm. And this was an appeal case because at the first instance, the court found, well, no, that's not true. There is a connection because WorkPack had induced or encouraged the employee to participate in this activity. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting discussion because WorkPack said, well, no, we didn't say, you know, you have to go join this soccer club Mm -hmm. it was just an option available to all employees so that's not encouraging or inducing them to do so and the appeal court said no the test actually is the fact that in their policies workpack said look you have to comply with any policies and procedures Mm -hmm. of any of our third party people including Sodexo and in Sodexo's policies they had an invitation to join this sporting club and by the employee taking that on that was enough to meet that test. Yes. So it's really interesting and real narrow Mm. and it's just a reminder to be careful about how things are drafted in contracts because they can have unintended effects. Absolutely yeah particularly in the pursuit of what would be you know objectively speaking a good outcome for yeah. getting your employees to be active in that space but yeah unintended consequences yeah, from exactly. drafting always go back to the drafting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right and very quickly matt yes, tell us fair. about ebas and negotiating with the union yeah look it's a, a, oh, sorry, a great, without the union. no no well, look it's a fantastic example a question i get asked so often in the industrial space is look if we reach an impasse in negotiating with the union can we put the enterprise agreement to a vote and this case a great example to answer that question absolutely yes with some understandable usual caveats so look context of this one yeah, for MSS, they didn't necessarily want an agreement. They didn't want to start bargaining. The CFMMEU got a majority support determination, required the MSS to come to the table to negotiate. MSS then did engage in like a really well-structured, considered... Yeah, they went above and beyond. Yeah, they really did meet the good faith bargaining requirements. They had several meetings. They provided explanations. They informed the union of the views. They engaged actively, proactively in many ways and openly, it ultimately reached an impasse and MSS decided, well, look, we, you know, and told the union we're going to put it to the vote. Now, the vote was actually unsuccessful in that first instance. But what they did then, because they were getting that impasse from the union, is they actually went and spoke to the employees directly. The employees sort of said, look, here's our two actual major issues, and one was about annual leave, one was about sick leave. The union then found out about this and said, well, how come you've gone straight to the employees? And MSS said, well, look, we've tried to go back to you. And then they even tried again after that to engage with the union. Ultimately, they did get some 
further negotiation, which then again went nowhere and MSS intended to go for the vote. So the union here actually brought an application to intervene to stop the vote and the Commission said, well, look, you've got no basis for this really. Everything I see here on the evidence that I accept is that MSS have gone above and beyond and in those circumstances, it's entirely lawful for them to speak to their employees. They weren't trying to cut out the union. The union had effectively cut themselves out. So what it's a really great reminder of is, yes, number one, if you do get to that point, you can put the agreement to a vote directly with the employees, but also be the bigger person when it comes to this process because it will pay off. You might want to get down in the dirt with the union, but try to avoid it be the sort of paragon of virtue here when it comes to this and it'll pay off in the end. Yeah, Mm. important lesson. Yeah. All right, on to the main topic. So this is a question we get asked all the time and it's an important one to bring up because there was a recent case, the Serco case, which, look, the facts aren't that important. It was a dog handler who was being investigated because they found his dog was injured and Mm. they wanted to figure out why. He refused flat out to participate Mm. in the investigation, that it was a fishing expedition, a dog hunt, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) And basically (laughs) basically was like, no, I refuse. Mm. They subsequently terminated his employment and it was found that by failing to comply with the lawful and reasonable direction, mm. that was a sound and defensible reason for termination. Mm. So that just brings us back to this discussion where if you've got an employee who's been accused of misconduct, what do you do if an employee says, no, nah, I'm not going to entertain this reason? Yeah, and look, I think, you know, investigations are often, they're quite emotive, they're mm-hmm. quite highly charged, and I think all of us fairly would say, look, no one likes to be accused of anything no. <laughs> and no one likes to be put under the microscope. So it's very easy when you are an investigator, if you are a HR person, and you're sitting down to start this process, you might accidentally put your own lens to it and go, okay, well, if an employee, I need to get this employee to come and speak to me about these allegations or about this as a witness, whatever it might be, And I wouldn't necessarily want to be that person too. So you tend to be a little bit more receptive when an employee does resist that overture to come and be part of this. The important thing I think that is forgotten often in this is if you strip away the sort of interpersonal conflict and the emotiveness of it, it does come back down to the lawful and reasonable direction inherent in asking an employee to participate in a workplace investigation. Yeah. There's no unfettered right for them to say, no, I automatically don't have to participate. That's right. Yeah. And look, yes, there is, you know, that implied one, but we always recommend that you, in any correspondence, you make it clear that it's a lawful and reasonable direction. Yeah. That they have to participate. Yeah. Emphasis on the reasonable. Yeah, because the lawful's look, the lawful's very technical, but it's it's basically always there in respect of an employee. It's either implied at common law, it's the duty of control, it's all those aspects that are inherent in employment. Where people more often than not trip themselves up here is the specific context of an employee and that question of reasonableness. So, yes, it's always going to be lawful to ask, but is it reasonable in the context of that specific employee? And, look, nine times out of ten, thankfully, unless the employee has raised something that's valid, it is largely going to be reasonable to direct an employee to participate in an investigation. Yeah. So when we're talking about when it might not be 
reasonable. It's more situations where the employee has asked for a delay because, say, they're not feeling very well, mm-hmm. they're feeling psychologically stressed by it mm-hmm. and maybe need, like, a day off to, like, consider everything and come back fresh-faced. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Like, yep. it wouldn't be reasonable in those circumstances to say, no, you have to come in now and yeah. respond. Yeah, and a common error too because, look, yeah. you know, we talk a lot about how process and investigations mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be regimented about documenting things, conducting um, meetings in particular ways, support people, all those different aspects. But it always, because of this overarching umbrella of the lawfulness and the reasonableness of it, you do need to be prepared to be adaptive to the particular context. Again, something we quite often see, you know, largely a lot of questions all the time. I've got an employee who says, they can't wanted to have the investigation meeting today and it's Thursday yeah. and they, they can't attend until Monday. Oh, okay, well, that's a little bit yeah. frustrating, sure, but what really turns all that much on no. three working exactly. days difference? Yeah, I think that's the key thing, that it's got to be a reasonable request from both sides. Yes. So if they say, look, I'm not going to respond for two months, obviously mm. that's not going to be reasonable. Mm. And the other thing to remember is a common request is, look, my union representative's not mm, available mm. for like another week or so, so I want to delay it back then. Look, in those circumstances, it's probably not as reasonable depending on the length of delay because the purpose of the investigation is to obtain their true versions of facts. Yes. They can have whatever support person they would want during the process, but it's not the time for someone else to advocate on their behalf because mm. it's not a disciplinary meeting. It's simply obtaining the true version of events. Oh, absolutely. And look, the obligation when it comes around uh, it support people in this context anyway is that you've offered them the opportunity exactly. to have one, not offered them the opportunity to have a specific person at a specific yep. time and so on. So I think that's a great example of where that reasonableness needs to be taken into account. The other, of course, is where, you know, you do get the medical certificate. You know, yep. you've got the employee, they say that they're stressed. I mean, when it's a, it can be dealt with in a much more straightforward way. If you've got the employee presenting to you saying, oh, I'm stressed, the physical manifestations of it are there, well, that's a really easy trigger to take a step back. When you get the medical certificate, it doesn't mean you need to panic right away. What you might then need to do is just adapt your process a yes, little bit. You know, exactly. is there an opportunity to extend an invitation to respond in writing and so on and so forth? So, yeah, really always coming back to that point of the reasonableness to say no unfettered right for an employee just to refuse to participate. But as many things are in employment law, it's contextual. Yeah. Don't try to treat everyone, paint them all with the same brush. You've got to look at this on an employee-by-employee basis. Yeah. And just before we move on to the case study, I also want to just emphasise that these same rules that apply to the respondent to any allegations also apply to any other potential witnesses. You might have witnesses who say, I don't want to get involved in the investigation, you know, it's too messy, I don't want to get involved. Mm. They have the same obligations to comply with lawful and reasonable directions. And there's also other considerations, like say it was a safety investigation, Mm. their failure to cooperate there would be a breach of their duties towards the other employees. Yeah, absolutely. So same duties apply to all witnesses in yeah, we're not just talking respondents here. Yes. Yeah. All right, so on to the case study, and it is a long one. Yeah, Andrew put some extra detail <laughs> into this one just for knew you were coming back. I know, yeah, that's right. All right. Mandy worked with aged, disabled people in their homes. She was a carer. Her boss was Joe. Joe, as part of his OHS system, was undertaking risk assessments for new clients and updating assessments every six months for existing clients. He approached Mandy about her two existing clients. 
Mandy explained that these were very private people and she would not be happy for Joe to do the assessments. Joe explained that it was his responsibility, it was a fresh set of eyes, and also provided a window into how the clients saw the support they were given. It was not just a safety assessment, it was a client survey. Mandy became very offended and said, so you are going to spy on me and not respect these people's privacy. My relationship with them is very special and I don't want you prying and damaging that. That doesn't sound creepy at all. No, it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. The next day she visited the Lemke's house. They were an aged couple and the husband had profound physical disabilities from a stroke and his carer wife, though strong and fit, was starting to exhibit memory issues. Mandy took a call from Joe while she was at the Lemke's home. After the call, she said to Bob Lemke, my boss wants to come out and grill you about me and prove that you can't be looked after at home. Bob Lemke rang the organisation hotline the moment Mandy left and asked to be put through to the big boss. He was put through to Joe's boss. The next day, Mandy received a text to ring HR. She rang straight away. Dion, the HR manager, said he needed to speak to her about a conversation she had with her clients, the Lemkes, yesterday. Mandy hung up. She then sent a text and said, how dare you dig into my client's privacy? Dion texted back and said they had made a complaint about her and so had her boss, Joe. Dion said he would see her at work at 10am tomorrow. She may have a support person with her and Dion will provide her with the letter of allegations. Mandy sent in a doctor's certificate the following day. It said she would be unfit for work for two weeks and likely longer as she is suffering from PTSD depression and anxiety, oh, and anxiety, really. <laughs> a week later, her psychologist sent a note saying she would be unfit until further notice, but no less than three months. After two weeks, Dion sent the letter of allegations. Included in it was contact details for EAP and other support and said he required a responsive writing within seven days or, alternatively, he would be happy to meet with her and a support person before that time. Mandy wrote back saying the letter was bullying. She was unwell and it further harmed her health. Dion wrote a further letter in a sympathetic tone, explaining in the absence of medical evidence she was not fit to answer the allegation. Sorry, if she was not fit. Yeah, she was required to answer them. It was a lawful and reasonable direction. He said he would welcome any fresh medical evidence, but in the absence of that evidence, he would conclude the investigation based on the witnesses he spoke to and her refusal to answer questions, especially as it involved him having to speak directly to a vulnerable and distressed client. Uh, breached her obligations to the organisation and may uh, in itself be serious misconduct. It's never ending. No, Mandy <laughs> sent back a text saying, stop threatening me, I'm sick, after the seven days passed. Dion concluded the investigation and found the allegations proved. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes. Okay. And he did, I, did, I think he terminated the employment. I can't yeah. remember, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. might have fallen off there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so definitely proved and terminated. Yes. Yes, so was Dion's approach to question Mandy in light of her alleged medical condition a lawful and proper process? Yeah, I yeah. So. yeah, look, again, I mean, this goes to what we were speaking about earlier, you know, where you do have to deal with the particular context of the particular employees, but a complaint's been raised by the two clients and from her direct report, so there's a proper basis to commence yeah. an investigation. He's then gone about it in a very even-handed way. Yeah, He's tried to accommodate generous. her. And, look, given her medical condition, importantly, there's nothing in there. No that medical said, evidence. Yeah. You know, and he even asked, he gave her the opportunity yeah. for it, but there was nothing in there, and this is something we deal with all the time, yeah. nothing in there to indicate that she was actually incapable of responding to questions. And he gave her several different ways to respond. Yes. Like, in writing, mm -hmm. you want to meet with me, 
he went above and beyond, so definitely, definitely lawful and proper process. Yep. Did Mandy's resistance to assist Joe with the client assessment process amount to serious misconduct? And if so, why? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Regulation 1.07. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, this is a classic example of an employee trying to stand in the way of the sort of performance of the work of the business, right? You know, like here we know that Joe had said it's an OH&S assessment, so number one, that's really important, but it's also part of him discharging the duties of the business. The business needs to know um, what the feedback and assessment from the clients are about certain aspects. And her standing in the way of that really is serious misconduct because she has a duty to cooperate, she has a duty to comply with lawful and reasonable directions. Yep. Now, look, maybe Joe didn't formalise the lawful and reasonable direction. I but, think it was implied. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. You know, there is no suggestion that every lawful and reasonable direction has to be carried out in that way. No. Where it's got to be, you know, so direct um, and in right. So, yeah. absolutely. And particularly as they were dealing with older patients mm. who their safety considerations probably yeah. changed. Yeah. If something happened to them, mm. the, the company definitely could have been prosecuted. Yeah. So yeah. definitely serious misconduct. Did Manny's comments to Bob Lemke amount to serious misconduct and if so, why? Yeah, I think it certainly was misconduct here. Yeah, this is the one where she told the client. Mm. Yeah, mm. Right. So, yeah. you know, look, she was dishonest based on our understanding of the facts. So I think there's a basis to say that that does get to the serious misconduct threshold. She's definitely not acting in line with her duty to act in the best interest of the business. No, no. And if we assume, of course, that there's something written like that into a contract, which or every yeah. contract should, I think that's a pretty clear example. Even if it didn't get that high, that sort of direct disparagement of the business. Yeah. It would not be hard to get that over line as no. misconduct at the very least. Yeah. 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 Terrible. Mm. Did Mandy's refusal to participate in the investigation process amount to serious misconduct? And further, would it be reasonable to say the refusal undermined trust and confidence in the ongoing employment relationship? Yeah. Well, look, again, a duty to cooperate with the employer implied a common law here. So she has failed to cooperate with what the employer wanted. And again, the lawful and reasonable yeah. direction. So again, it's lawful on the basis of all those common law duties. And it was reasonable in this circumstance. Yeah. You know, it, it, there was a serious complaint made by yeah. two, two clients and from her direct boss about her conduct in the workplace. Yep. And then that's the proper basis to go with the investigation. And then she's just outright refused. Yep. Then she's provided the medical evidence. Yes, she's entitled to do that. There's then been that further opportunity provided. And instead of engaging with that, she's just outright refused to participate at all. Yeah. So at the end of the day, her refusal wasn't based on anything valid or protected for herself. Exactly. Mm. Okay. If Dion proceeds to terminate Mandy using a correct process, could Mandy successfully mount a general protections claim? So this is an interesting one because I think everyone goes to temporary absence. Mm. You know, she was sick. She was sick for up to three months, mm. not more than. So, mm. you know, that doesn't meet the temporary absence mm-hmm. test, but it's a complete red herring yep. by Andrew. Absolutely. Because Classic Andrew red herring. It wasn't the reason for the termination. It mm. wasn't even in the decision maker's mind. Mm. So, you couldn't ever say it was a substantive and operative reason. Time and time again, we have clients who are undertaking, you know, an investigation into serious misconduct. The employee goes on sick leave and they say, oh, my gosh, we can't do anything. You're going to drop it, yeah. Yeah, it means that we're basically shackled to this mm. employee. That's not true. No. Like, if you've got 
genuine valid reason that has nothing to do with a workplace right, mm. then you can well and truly terminate on that basis. Mm. Yes, she might mount a general protections claim, but she's never going to succeed if you've got the evidence. Absolutely. That's the key part. Never going to be successful in those circumstances for sure. Yeah. So could Mandy bring a successful workers' compensation claim? Yeah, look, again, no. I mean, the carrying out of the investigation was done, clearly documented. It was reasonable in that context. But then again, Dion has gone above and beyond to be reasonable yeah. in the circumstances, you know, giving her the time, accepting the evidence, inviting more evidence. Mm. Those are things that are going to demonstrate that carrying it out in a reasonable manner to really, you know, style that application. And the last one, could they say psychological hazards? Look, she might try to say it was bullying or something like that, but if they investigated, they'd say this was things that had come out of a lawful and reasonable process, so she'd never succeed with WorkSafe either. Cool. Right. We just made it yeah, in time. Yeah, I know, back. I know, we did. That's why yeah. the slides. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, this is Andrew's fault, though. No, that's right. That's fair. But he left us with a good one, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah. Thank you all for watching. No, Please for give us a in. thumbs up and, you know, catch us next time. Yeah, we'll see you again soon. Bye.